0: Hello again, everyone. This is Andy Tarnoff, and we are here for Deep Dive MH370, Episode 5, Ping Rings. I'm joined by aviation expert and journalist Jeff Wise. Are you ready to do it again, Jeff?
1: I am, Andy. I'm very excited to be here again with you.
0: Well, we're hot off the heels of Episode 4, and that was my favorite one to date, (laughs) but I have a feeling this one's going to even be better. I think
1: they get better. I mean, we're getting really more into the nitty-gritty, and as I say over and over again... You can't really understand the greatest aviation mystery without getting into the technical details, because it is kind of a technical case, and it puts people off. But we're going to try to be gentle and, and sort of hold listeners by the hand and walk through this stuff. Today, we're really getting to the thick of it, so we might have to just slow down sometimes. But you you let me know. You're my interlocutor here, so um, if I get confusing, just just let me know. Okay. I think I understand it,
0: but... I, I will keep it simple. Uh, last week, we talked about that a week after the plane disappeared, the Malaysia prime minister announced that a satellite communications firm called Imarsat had recorded some data, and that data was automatically or transmitted by the plane for six whole hours after it left Malaysian radar coverage. coverage. Right. So that was an astounding thing for you guys as you were investigating this
1: case. Yeah, and we really didn't understand it. We didn't know what, the, we'd never heard of this kind of data before. We didn't know what it was. And in the days and weeks that followed, the Malaysians kind of slowly leaked out information, kind of gave us clues. Some of what they told us later turned out to be kind of inaccurate or just slightly misstating what the actual nature of the data was. But by the end of that first week, we were starting to piece together what was going on with this data. And so, as we talked about a little bit last time, this isn't data like telling, like we talked about Air France 447, where it was sending these packets that were telling the company on the ground what was wrong with the plane. That wasn't happening here. What was happening was somebody, or somehow this this uh, SATCOM system had been turned back on shortly after the plane left Malaysian military radar. And it started um, it turned on and as it turned on, it sent a signal up to the satellite and it basically said, hi, I'm here. It's called a handshake signal. It's basically establishing communication so that when the user is ready to send a text or make a voice call, the system will be ready to make that connection. And so there is no transmission of like, hi, I'm at such and such a location. My engines are burning fuel at such and such a rate. It can do that kind of thing, but that, that part was turned off. It was just the basic handshake protocol that was that was being yeah
0: the big question that everyone was wondering then was will this information tell us anything about where the plane went and the answer is yes had malaysia airlines paid for the advanced service or the upgraded service instead of the cheapest one there probably would be no mystery here because we would know exactly where the plane went right but instead we're stuck with just this vague information about Pinging. Ping right.
1: So the Inmarsat scientists said, okay, we have this signal. The signal does not have any embedded GPS information that will tell us where exactly this plane was. But it, it is telling us something. So let's look at this data, and what does this data tell us? And it turned out that there were a couple of things, and one, the one we're going to talk about today is the simplest kind. It's called the burst timing offset, or BTO. We're just going to call it BTO, It's or maybe timing data. It's a a bit of jargon, but it's useful to know because it's very important in this case. The BTO is a measure of how long it took the plane to respond when the satellite said, hi, are you there? And because light travels at a certain speed and because there's also a certain amount of time that it takes the, the satellite data unit to process its own inner workings and then reply, from this time lag, Basically, the Inmarsat scientists were able to derive a distance from the satellite to the plane.
0: Now, this is a they didn't invent burst timing offset or BTO. I mean, that that's—
1: This was something that, you know, that satellite science, communications engineers were interested in— ever since they started building satellite communication systems, they're, they're trying to make sure that their system works. They want to understand how their system works. They want to make sure it's within the parameters as they designed it. So they're, they're logging down various parameters of the signal like this. The other one that's important is the frequency offset, which is similar to the time offset, but it just measures how the, the difference in the frequency. And we'll talk about that more in a future episode. Basically, they want to know, is this signal within the parameters that we designed it? They didn't intend it to be used for this at all, but very... I was going to
0: say, this has never been done before, or at least for this purpose, this had never been done it before, It had never right? been
1: used for this purpose, but there is a very interesting connection to Air France 447, which we've been talking about for a while now, which is okay. the case that it happened back in 2009. When that plane went missing, the scientists at Inmarsat said to themselves, you know, just in case planes go missing in the future, it might someday be useful to have this kind of data. So we're going to... We used to just kind of you know it would come through the wires and we just throw it out now we're going to start recording it and logging it for every single user we're going to start storing that data and it's and they had they had done that only recently because you know the final report in Air France 447 was 2011. so it wasn't until 2011 that we really understood what happened in that case so just for a few years they had started to record this data that turned out to be extremely useful and i don't know if anybody i don't think anybody knows if anyone outside of Inmarsat knew that Inmarsat was recording this data. That will be an interesting point to consider later. But for now, let's just say that as this case was unfolding back in March of 2014, we journalists who were covering it were starting to realize what Inmarsat knew, what the Malaysian authorities knew, and what it implied about where the plane might have gone. There's some heavy-duty math about to happen here, but
0: the Inmarsat... (laughs) The, the mathematicians, yeah. they took these seven hourly pings and they derived some valuable information right. that allowed them to make some conclusions about where the plane went. And they allowed journalists to make some determinations about where the, the plane went. And they didn't
1: necessarily match, but it's based on the same data. Right. Well, once there were a lot of people, journalists and also just in, interested bystanders, people on the Internet, who are, who, are, who are pouring over every word that was coming out of the authorities and trying to figure out what, it, what did it mean. And when the, when the authorities tell us, oh, the plane must have done this, the plane must have done that, are they right? Let's double check what they're saying because, you know, this being the world that it is, we don't necessarily trust the authorities. We want to sort of trust but verify, right? So we want to check what they're saying. And I was one of these people. I'm watching the story and they're telling us, they're saying that there are the, we have these seven rings and they have to do with how far the plane is from the satellite, and if you project that fact, if you know how far the plane was from the satellite, then you know that it must have been, it couldn't be just no longer anywhere on the Earth. It can be somewhere on the Earth, and mathematically it turns out to be a circle. You know, If you hold a string, uh, and I hold the other end of the string, and you know I'm at the end of that string, I could be anywhere in a circle, right? It's like a compass and and pencil back in grade school. And so for each of these moments in time when a ping was, rec- was recorded and the burst timing offset data was recorded, we have a distance which, which translates into a kind of an arc that's on the surface of the Earth. They're actually maybe thirty-five or 40,000 feet above the surface of the Earth, but it's still an arc. And so that, that isn't the track that the plane followed, but it is the, the, it is the set of all possible places where the plane could be at that moment.
0: Right. And the reason it's an arc as opposed to a giant circle is because there are physical factors that would be limiting the plane from magically appearing on the other side of the earth. Right, exactly. Like you, can, you can rule out a whole bunch of stuff and, and right. with the amount of fuel and the time, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be in a certain vertical
1: north-south area. Right, exactly. Exactly. And so, before too long, we were, we were in possession, we meaning the public, was in possession of a set of seven rings, or arcs, depending on what you want to call it, and each of them was recorded a certain time, and we were able to play with it. You know, one of the great things that you we're know, living in a modern age, we now have access to Google Earth, and it has these incredibly powerful tools that you can use for free. You can draw circles and arcs and lines, and you can do all kinds of geometrical experimentation in 3D, which before you would have needed a supercomputer. So, so this is one of the great things about the internet, is that people were coming together on the internet and sharing ideas. And I kind of got involved in all of this because of this burst timing offset data. I had realized that this chart was actually telling us something that nobody was talking about yet, which is I talked to an Inmarsat official, and they said that each of the rings was larger than the previous one, meaning that the plane was steadily moving outwards away from the satellite. And that immediately dramatically reduced the, the range of possibilities. It meant that the plane couldn't have gone towards the satellite and it couldn't have gone further away from the satellite than the final ping arc. So it must have traveled within this kind of corridor defined by the innermost and outermost arcs. So I got very excited, I put this on my website, people took a notice, people started trading information on it, and this kind of gradually turned into an informal group of, of people trading information, and we even wound up giving us a name, we called ourselves the independent group, and there was a lot of very useful science that was being done. Some of these people really know their stuff. They were like satellite scientists and and signal scientists, and people were really um, quite knowledgeable in, in sharing their formulas and their work. It is,
0: as sophisticated as this is, it's even a little bit more sophisticated because even though these hourly pings should have happened hourly. right? They didn't necessarily happen hourly because right. there were some calls coming in. Right. I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit as, as to why these seven pings right. were not equidistantly
1: spaced. So one of the things that was kind of inaccurate that we were told at, at first was that this plane was sending hourly pings, as you alluded to. And that's semi-accurate because what ha- the way the system was rigged to work was that the plane the system would turn on the 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 system would say hello to satellite and then the satellite would say hello we're here to take your call when you're ready now if that never happened if the if the user on the ground or in the air in this case never did make a call or send a text there'd be a timeout you know as you as you happen you know with websites where like if you don't do anything for a while they say hey you're still there i'm going to log you off in this case the system waited an hour exactly one hour and it said, hey, I haven't heard from you or you're still there. And they w- this would generate a ping. And the plane automatically would say, yeah, I'm still here. I, haven't, I still haven't got anything for you, but I'm still here. Now, what happened was twice during the span of these six hours, Malaysian Airlines, wondering where its plane was, called the plane. They only did this twice, yeah. which I don't know, maybe. That's it? That's only it. That's it. That's all. They can make two satellite calls. And, I mean, and
0: if I'm Malaysia Airlines, I may like, you know call back a couple times but well
1: what they that's didn't what they didn't realize was that even though nobody answered the system was engaged now inmarsat right. looking at the data later was able to say oh actually the signal went to the plane the plane's telephonic system was engaged and just nobody it rang but nobody picked up
0: so uh, everything a bummer because Isn't
1: that
0: crazy? I mean, had had they known this, they, and then they would have been calling every minute for the next six hours. They would
1: have, you would have had more ping rings. You would have actually had less, <laughs> because oh. these, because those those calls didn't generate. Oh, those interrupted data. the pin, ping ping right. ring. They interrupted the ping rings. And so, so that's, thank you,
0: Malaysia yeah. Airlines, yeah. Yeah, for, for calling not calling twice. more.
1: Actually, <laughs> it it helped. So it's insane. So I'm sorry, go on, please. You, you've this got like is, a gap of like an hour and 20 minutes, and then you've got another gap of like an hour and 10 minutes, because the counter was reset. And so okay. it's not quite even. But for the for purposes of, it's not completely inaccurate to say there were hourly pings. They were basically hourly with two exceptions. Okay. So, but once they, once they had this, they said about their mathematical minds to think, okay, so can we tell, can, what can we tell from this data? Like these are clues. What can we learn from the clues? What information can we extract?
0: So let me, let me make an aside here. All okay. right. So this is like the Friday after the press conference at Inmarsat. You know, they're explaining all this stuff. And right. at this point, you're basically already a regular on CNN. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, you've got some inklings of, of what's going on here, and you're trying to explain this. I'm assuming that went
1: over like a lead balloon. Like <laughs> I got did. very excited. I got very excited because I'm like, I just figured right. out something that nobody knows, or at least nobody outside of Inmarsat or nobody's talking about on TV, which is that we now have a much, much narrower idea of where this plane went. It basically flew either over the Indian Ocean and crossed the coast of northern India and then went to like towards Nepal, or it went somewhere into the southern India. Southern Indian Ocean. At the time, we thought it went over the tip of Indonesia, but that's actually turned out not to be right. But we we, were, we had roughly a, an idea of where it went, and I and I took this to CNN, and I, and I and and I realized like they hadn't hired me to be a reporter. They had hired me to be a guy who like answered questions on camera. They weren't looking for me to break news for them. And so I went around and I could not get them interested. And I actually wound up trying to talk to Don Lemon about it on air. And he was like, what? That must like, have been I'm awesome. Yeah, it was really. I mean, got to
0: find a clip of that. If I can find a clip of that, I'm, I'm putting it in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I can that only imagine awesome. you talking to Don Lemon, trying to trying to break this down in two minutes on, on that show. It, I was so I, excited. <laughs> I was so but excited. They probably, they probably were starting to think you were a little crazy, but you're not crazy, because if you drew these lines a certain way and you take into consideration that planes tend to travel at a
1: constant speed, right. you you could actually get a chart of where this plane went. A lot of people, including me, when we, once we had the ping rings and once we had Google Earth installed on our computers, we started playing with it. And if you draw a line, because remember, we, the, the, the Inmarsat the data started three minutes after its na- last known radar location. So we basically knew on that first arc where it was on the arc. So you know the starting where it point. Started. And from there, you can draw various straight lines to the final arc. And you can sort of see, well, which ones generate. And as I said, the distance between these arcs is is equivalent to its speed. So if if, if two of these arcs are 300 miles apart and you imagine the plane was going 500 miles an hour, then you would have to have sort of an angle between one arc and the next. And the thing that's important to realize is that you can actually generate, for every imagined speed, you can have two lines, one that goes to the right and one that goes to the left. And if you extrapolate these outward, you get two equivalent routes. For any given speed, you wind up getting two routes. And when you look at it, you, can, you, you've, you quickly realize that this, that this set of ping rings actually w- seems to want to tell you how the plane was flying and where it flew. Because a certain, the planes tend to fly straight. Like commercial airliners like the 777 are designed to fly high and fast and straight because that's efficient. There's no reason to be dawdling around. You know, you're not um, tooling around in your motorboat looking for fish. You're going from here to there, and the way to do it is straight and fast and high. And if you assume that this plane flew in that way and you start drawing lines on the chart, you'll quickly notice that there's certain lines that match the speed of a 777, the speed at which a 777 typically flies. And you don't have to make curves or bends or anything. It just wants to go at that speed. And so very quickly, a lot of people observing independently and the authorities themselves you can you can you can approach this a lot of different ways mathematically with this with a ruler and pencil however you approach it you get the same answer this plane winds up in a very small area of either the southern indian ocean or kazakhstan
0: so backing up for just a moment if i may until i fully understood the science and the math behind this, I would have thought that perhaps someone who is trying to abscond with a plane may not be flying in a straight line, may not be flying at a constant speed. They might be squiggling around or trying to evade. But what you're saying is these ping rings validate that it was traveling in a straight line.
1: They, they match a scenario in which the plane is flying at a straight line. And I think a really important point to make, and I think a lot of people miss this, and it's absolutely bedrock crucial, is that it's we, we, everyone assumed that whoever took this plane would have no idea that Inmarsat was recording BTO data. Even people who are satellite right. communications experts in other parts of the world wouldn't know that Inmarsat was recording this BTO data. So there'd be no reason for someone to fly... You know, a, a curving, you know, flight path with different speeds, accelerating and slowing down, to to avoid, you know, to make it look like they were flying straight when they were really flying curved, because they just there's we it, it, you would have to imagine like someone of almost godlike you know intelligence and perception and knowledge of what In-Marsat was doing, and so, so that's a
0: little foreshadowing, Jeff, because one <laughs> of the reasons people think that your yeah. theory is cockamamie right. is because they say nobody knew that in marset had this data nobody knew that in marset would be able to interpret this data
1: right right that that's kind of that's come a little shadowing we'll get to yeah that. Well, uh, well, yeah yeah it is it is so uh, but question, it, it's so, notable though would so uh, it's an important question to ask would whoever took this plane know that this first of all how to turn on? like did they even know that the system was on you know because because don't forget that when we first heard about this in Marsat data, we assumed that the system had been left on. And only much later did we learn that it had been turned off and back on again. So would, th- that's would whoever... A, that's t- going to be a good one. It, yeah. And so would... Yeah, that's a very good one. But... Um, yeah,
0: pilots didn't know how to do this.
1: Pilots do... Well, we're going to talk about that. But the point just being is that it's very hard to imagine... That, the, that whoever took this plane knew that, th- that inmarsat was recording these, this data that would later allow them to draw these rings, that would later allow them to, s- to deduce where the plane went. And so you wouldn't imagine that someone would fly a curved course just for the sake of being crafty and tricky and trying to get away. I mean, and listen, if you the, in- the idea being, look, they, 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 we did see someone turn off all the electronic data and do a hard 180 which implied that they were trying to be evasive trying to get away trying to steal this plane in a way that was sneaky and elusive and then they flew off of Malaysian radar they were this is what's this is what's so perplexing this is what i really want people to think about why did someone who seems to have worked so hard to get away now turn on this device that's acting essentially like a tracking device that's and like they left breadcrumbs Yeah, it's almost like they're leaving a trail of electronic breadcrumbs. They're leaving a clue to where the plane went. Why would they do that? Now, an obvious answer would be, well, they didn't know that they were leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. Fine, great. They didn't know they were leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. That also implies that they they wouldn't try to leave a sort of tricky trail of breadcrumbs.
0: And that that we are going to get to, and that's when this thing gets super crazy. Right. But what I did want to say was if you believe in the concept of ping rings and pretty much all the authorities believe it because that's exactly why they picked their search zone in the Southern Indian Ocean, then you have to conclude that after six hours that flight ended in the Southern Indian Ocean or
1: somewhere in Kazakhstan. Right, exactly, and that's what they did and the authorities said as much. They said this plane is either in the Southern Indian Ocean or it's in Kazakhstan and they reached out to Kazakhstan and yeah, how did that go? <laughs> I don't think they ever got an answer. They also, reached out oh, to, weird. they also reached out to all the countries that had citizens on board the plane, and they said, please check into your citizens and tell us if, if, if any of them were somehow weird, if there was something sketchy about them. And everyone replied except Russia and Ukraine. There were two Ukrainians Man, that's really, and a Russian on board this plane. And there's a, there's, a, there's a reasonable explanation for that, which is that these countries had just gone to war. So Russia had just invaded Ukraine and these guys had their hands full.
0: Man, I want to keep going. I want to keep talking about this, but I know that we have to separate this into multiple episodes because now you're dropping the breadcrumbs because right. I hope people can understand what what we're starting to talk about. But yeah. nonetheless, this mystery is a little bit closer to getting solved because now we have a, an idea back in 2014 that... The plane went somewhere for six hours, and
1: it could be along this north-south This route. was very, very exciting, especially—and I talked to Inmarsat scientists, and they told me, like, we were very excited because we felt like, oh, my God, we are using math to solve the greatest aviation mystery. Because even back then, when it had only been two weeks old, it was all, already the craziest thing that had ever happened uh, in, in terms of an air crash uh, investigation. And so they were, they were like, this is amazing. We have used math and we are incredibly clever and look at us, aren't we good? All we need to do is figure out, did it go north or did it go south? Is there some way we can break the symmetry? And that took a little bit longer and we'll get into that, I guess, in the next episode. But I, I do worry that what I've been talking about today is a little a little bit abstruse. I think if people watch the video version of this, we'll put up some graphics that will help make it clearer. And if people, But if people still have questions, definitely feel free to drop a question you know, in the comments on the show page, on the YouTube page, reach out to us. We want to make this clear to you.
0: Yeah. And I'm not going to say that you're obsessed with this mystery, but you spent the last nine (laughs) and a half years of your life thinking about it. (laughs) And I've spent quite some time thinking about this so it makes sense to me it makes sense to you because this isn't a live podcast we honestly don't know if it's making sense to the viewer and to the listener but that's why we're filming these a week in advance so we have some time and if something seems confusing we'll break it down in the next episode the next episode is even even a little more crazy because there's another set of metadata out there right jeff
1: yeah, it's even it's a little bit even more difficult to explain, but we'll have more images and we'll try to take it real slow. We, we might break that into two. There's a lot of things to be said. You know, I feel like the whole point of this podcast is to take everything slow and to try to just work through everything step by step. But there's just so much to work through that, you know, we're having to abbreviate a little bit. So hopefully. but But not too much. I mean, unlike Don Lemon. I'm sure he's a nice
0: guy, but you just you just can't get into this granular level of detail in in two minutes on a primetime cable news segment. And and we're in no hurry. We'll take even on even on a Netflix,
1: even on Netflix, you know, three episode show. It's like I could only really, you know, skim the surface. So this is is I didn't even I didn't really get it until I read your book, to be honest with you. Well, then we were talking about it and I was talking about the the MRC data and You're like, oh, now I get it. You were like, oh, that's unbelievable. I didn't get that before. And so hopefully I only I, I
0: mean, I yeah, I thought I got it. But when we walked down the street in <laughs> in the Bronx and you, you really explained it to me, I was like, now I get
1: it. I and that's really what want people, endeavor to do for the audience. I really want people to get it because it's really amazing if you have it explained to you. It's an unbelievable story, but but very few people have been able to take the time to have it to get walked through what happened and all the incredible twists and turns that happened and, ha- and how the mystery unfolded and how people thought they'd solved it. The thing that people need to realize is that at this point that we are right now it's still very early stages but already the in scientists were looking at there're like, oh my God, we've done it we have solved the greatest mystery of all time. And there were many and and I then think now and this is and this now nine and a half years later and the plane still isn't found yeah but people well, were so he, excited.
0: If you fully understand this, then you can brush aside some of the conspiracy theory talk because, again, it's data. And, and the more you understand, the, the closer we get to finding out what really happened to this plane.
1: There are many people whose entire worldview and theories of MH370 depend on all of this data just being fake. Just being just fake, 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 fake. And I'm saying, look, if you look at it, actually, it's kind of like DNA. It's like you might just think DNA is fake, but if you look at DNA and understand how it works, it's kind of amazing it's complicated but it's amazing and it's very explanatory. So, I think it's worth a dive
0: into it. Deep dive kind on of, It's kind of like when the DNA test said my dog doesn't have any beagle in her. I was like, "Wow. Well, you like I, fake data. Really it looks news. like a beagle, but I don't know if the DNA says it." Anyway, we're wrapping up this one. So, this was episode 5 ping right. rings next week we'll be coming at you on thursday with episode six we're talking about metadata in the meantime you should be watching the video of this but if you're just listening to the audio of it, it that, that that's cool too you just won't see all the graphics we need you to like subscribe comment tell us how we're doing rate us we, we need that validation i need that send validation. us your love yeah or hate no but don't preferably love just love. okay just send us love and uh we'll be back at you next week with with a whole lot more stuff.
1: Fantastic. Thanks Andy.
0: Thanks Jeff.